Hello, I'm Vernon Kay, and you're listening to the England Rugby Podcast with O2 Inside Line. The Guinness Six Nations is officially underway, and didn't it kick off in style? As ever, we're here to grant you exclusive access to the England camp, and this week we learn more about this man. But I can remember one time my dad chucking me on the field, and I seen a video of it the other day, actually, like head guard, gum shield, shorts, miles too big for you, socks baggy, and like, who's this coming on here? And I can remember it now, getting the ball, not having a clue what to do with it, just running from side to side. Yes, we get the inside line on England fly half, George Ford. And it was honestly like doing squats with a broomstick or walking around the gym like a monkey. As well as our chat with George, winger Anthony Watson reveals which three tracks mean a lot to him. Just blazing it in my car, it, it touches my soul. <laughs> Dying to find out what that is. Also on the podcast this week, Red Rose's hooker, Lark Davis, gives us an insight into her rugby journey. Finishing a game, like, covered in mud, making loads of hair. It's like feeling a bit battered and bruised, but, like, coming off with my friends and feeling, like, such a sense of, like, accomplishment and achievement. Let's crack on and hear how Paul Bunker got on when he caught up with George Ford back at camp. We're going to roll it right back right now. Give us an idea what you were like as a youngster. If we went back to, say, when you were like five or six years old, give us a sort of impression of what you were like. Oh, it was a long time ago now. Um, I love rugby straight away, and that's genuine. I did it when, when I was five or six. My dad was still playing professionally, and it's just all I ever wanted to do, really. That was fast. Um, <laughs> whatever I wanted to do, I wanted to be out with my dad, kicking the ball around, watching my dad play, watching my dad train. Uh, with my brothers, I've got an older brother, a younger brother, and that was my main interest, really. We, like, as brothers, obviously I had two, so that made three of us. All we ever wanted to do was go to the local field and kick a ball around, really. That's the way it was until, obviously, you go to school and do different things. Were you into any other forms of sport? Were you playing cricket, football? Not at that stage, no. I don't think, I think it was a bit early. I think I must have been 11, 12, I started really playing golf, getting into golf. We had, a, obviously, a course near us. We had a lot of schoolmates, and we you go up there all day, every day. Mm. Uh, go up there at eight in the morning, come back at obviously light nights in the summer, come back at like nine in the evening just to get out of the house for my mum, I think, for the day. Yeah, so I really played a lot of golf and then went to school and started getting into football a little bit and basketball, shocking at cricket. Um, so I didn't bother with that one. Just talk about like heroes and when you were, when you were that age as well, and that's sort of like five to ten years old. Clearly, you had some sports people that you were looking up to, but were there others as well. Maybe what sort of programs were you on, on TV? Were you a gamer? No, I wasn't a gamer. There was um, we had a quite weird situation really. We lived next door to a, a Super League player, rugby league player, Paul Schoolthorpe, who's called played for St Helens, captain England and stuff. So like every time I'd see him getting in his car, going to training, like he'd just be in awe of it really. And then he'd literally come out on the front and kick a ball around with me and my brothers again. And it was like, you see him on a TV on a Friday night playing in a massive Super League game. And that was, as a young lad, five, six, seven years old, like, was, was unbelievable. So um, apart from that, I can't, I can't actually remember. Me and my older brother used to watch wrestling all the time. Like Who's WWE wrestling. wrestling. Um, I like Ken. Do you remember Ken? Didn't he have a mask or something? Anyway, yeah, Ken, my brother loved The Rock. Right. Yeah, okay, obviously yeah, that, that yeah. was quite a fashionable one. But yeah, we, we used to we used to have like bunk beds in our room and just watch wrestling all the time. Practice a few moves, throw each other around. Yeah, I'm Go pretty on. sure we did, yeah. We had, we had a good wrestle as well. And then my younger brother came along, for, I think, four or five years later. And when he was old enough to wrestle, he was the one who wanted to fight all the time. <laughs> uh, and what about your school reports, George? If we had a school report here from Super Bowl 93, so we had a school report from, say, let's say 2000, George Ford, he's seven or eight years old. What would they have said, do you reckon? I get a lot of stick for this, um, but I'd probably say very well behaved. 
I'd always be one who would want to listen in class, even even at that age. Like I'd want to listen to what the teacher's got to say and be polite and whatever. Uh, whatever work we used to do, I'd want to get it done as quick as I can. I don't know why. I just always I was just always like that. Even even getting older than that as well. Whenever we used to get homework to take home, most people would leave it till the night before it's due in to do it. I'd do it that night. I get it, I, and I don't know why. I think it was just a bit of a get it done as soon as possible and then could do whatever after so it's quite reflective of your work ethic today though wouldn't it i'd say that yeah like i said it was it's just something like i don't even think my parents obviously parents would bring you up to do the right things and stuff and and be polite and do things on time and things like that but i, I think i just that's just the way the way i was i, had it. I mean yeah. i know my older brother was completely different um he'd leave it till last minute and, and mum and dad would be pulling their hair out with him and stuff but i was i don't know why and i suppose yeah it's it's a bit like that now with in the rugby context, preparing for games in the week and stuff and trying to get all your prep right. So, uh, And what are your first memories of playing rugby? Can you talk us through, because it's quite emotive for most of us when you first turn up at a rugby club and you go in and you see clearly the older kids, but then there's like the hot dogs and all those sort of things. Talk, talk us through your first steps when you actually first sort of got into rugby for the first time. Yeah, so quite an interesting one, really. The, the village where we're from in Great Manchester, Saddleworth, didn't have a, an amateur rugby team. So they only had a, a first team, sorry. And there was obviously me and my brothers, we had loads of mates who were into rugby and we, we said, oh, let's start the first age group team. So we all went down to the local playing field. We tried to get as many numbers there as possible. And we actually set the first team up for the, for the age group team for the club. And I think now they've got a, a team at every age. So that was quite cool. But obviously they were two years older than me. So I couldn't play straight away. Uh, but I can remember one time my dad chucking me on the field. And I seen a video of it the other the other day actually, like head guard, gum shield, shorts, miles too big for you, socks baggy, like and he's like, Who's this coming on here? And I think I got like five minutes at the end of a game to go and play with my brother and his mates. And that's my, my my first memory, just running on the field and I can remember it now. Getting the ball, not having a clue what to do with it, just running from side to side. But yeah. as a kid that's what you do, I suppose. Yeah. That emotion, how amazing how sticky that's with you. Dare I say it, twenty twenty one years on that you still remember it that clearly and it's yeah. still with you. My dad spoke to me about it the other day. Obviously he said to the opposition parents, Look, oh, can we put him on for five minutes? He's a little bit younger, just be careful with him or whatever sort of thing. And it's amazing how um how something like that, which was obviously a bit staged, I suppose, mm. just for me to get but how it's stuck in my memory now to this day of first mm. experience in going on an amateur rugby field and playing rugby like in it's just madness really it's, it's going to sound like a bit of a weird question but so clearly your dad's involved in the elite game you're living next door to rugby league legends of course you grew up in neighbourhood with Owen and all that as well. was there ever a moment when you genuinely were thinking career wise was there anything ever anything else or was it just I'm playing rugby this is what I'm going to do did you have a burning desire thinking you know what there's a there's a fullback plan I'd like to be a vet <laughs> astronaut I can't remember the being, I'll be honest with you. I can't remember the being. Obviously, being from up near Manchester, it was always rugby league growing up. Going to school, play for your amateur club. Uh, and even at 14, 15, you can, can get attached with a Super League club at that stage. And it's nothing too hard and fast. You go and train with them once a week, I think. Mm-hmm. But even even then, you think, because you're at a Super League club and you get a little bit of kit and you can go and train at the facilities and stuff, mm-hmm. like straight away you think, that this is what I want to do. And I was lucky enough at 14 to um, go to Warrington at first, Warrington Wolves, get a bit of a taste for it there, and then I went to Wigan after that. And then, honestly, from from them periods there to going through primary school, secondary school, your county in the north of England and stuff, and it just went from one step to the next, and before you know it, I ended up making my debut for Leicester, so 
It's lucky it's worked out. If you didn't have a plan B, it's kind of lucky. Yeah, very lucky, mate. I don't have a clue what I'd be doing if if it didn't. No, but very lucky, yeah, because obviously a lot of lads would have a dream of doing that growing Mm. up and to actually be doing it is amazing. I think the kind of culture you've grown up in probably uh, pushing the right direction. Who who inspired you? Maybe at your club or maybe at school or other people around you and clearly having a dad who's involved in the elite game, that's going to be. But away from those people, are there particular teachers or coaches that you think, God, some of the stuff they taught me is still with me and they they were first class? Yeah, um, I was lucky enough to have some really good school teachers at school, especially in secondary school. And it wasn't so much what they what they did from on the field rugby point of view. It was how they helped me out um, getting the balance of doing schoolwork and having the opportunity to train and give rugby the best crack possible. Mm. Um, because even like mid secondary school. They'd facilitate my timetable at school where I wouldn't go to some classes. And like back, back then it was like unheard of really that mm. you're not going to turn up for a class because you're going training or you're going doing some kicking or you're going speed training and stuff. And like without that, I honestly don't, I don't think I'd have been given the opportunity I have today really because a lot of the foundations of my game now probably can't come from doing mm. more rugby than yeah. I should have been doing, to be yeah. honest with you. And there's some, some teachers there who, it's just to have the foresight to see it and to plan it and to actually follow it through for me was like I look back on it now and I was I couldn't be more thankful. There was a guy Andy Thomas at, at Rishworth. I I always obviously called him Mr. Thomas, but um, he was the main guy behind it. He was unbelievable. But the headmaster at the time, um, we had a good couple of PE teachers there. There's there's actually a guy who went on to be the SNC coach at England Rugby League, um, and he's now at Catalan Dragons called Richard Unix, who took my SNC from 14, 15. And it was honestly like doing squats with a broomstick or walking around the gym like a monkey just to mm. try and get ri- try and get the technique and stuff. But he, the amount of time and effort he put into me was unbelievable. Again, those early foundation years of getting the form right, getting your technique, the weight's insignificant when you're 14. And that technique that you use then, you probably carry that into your training today. And if you've got good form, then, as you know, then that pays off. Yeah, exactly that. And that's all it was because everyone bangs on about obviously doing weights yeah. at an early age and stuff. But I was lucky enough to learn all that probably at a younger stage so then later on three four years later I could probably accelerate that a bit quicker and um, I put it all down to them yeah Hi this is Harry Williams and you're listening to the England Rugby Podcast with O2 Inside Line We'll be back with George Ford shortly but first Anthony Watson takes a three tracks challenge Hi, I'm Anthony Watson, England rugby winger and fullback, and these are my three songs that have had a big impact on my life. First song is my initiation song, so back in 2014 when I made my first cap out to sing on the bus, and I sang the Anchorman song, uh, which was it was my favourite movie I think at the time. And I thought it would it would go down with the lads, but it's a pretty tough crowd. So, song number two at the moment would probably be Biggest Alley Oop by Quavo Huncho. It's just an artist that I followed the last three four years now and it's his first solo album and just blazing it in my car it's, it touches my soul <laughs> my third song is a song called Worth by a good friend of mine called Kwaku Asante he's just coming up at the moment he's released two songs and his second one is just it's an unbelievable song uh, he's got a great voice and, and he's definitely one to watch out for so I'll, I'll probably choose his well there you go you heard it here first let's crack on with our chat with George Ford 
we've got to touch on talking about Owen as well as a neighbour sort of again you've kind of grown up in that culture there but enough has been written and said about your relationship growing up and that as well but do you remember the first time you ever met him when you were sort of the new neighbours are in town whether you were the new neighbours and you were introduced to him and yeah. maybe the first time you sort of hung out with him and what were you thinking about him the first time you met him well, I played against him previously at amateur level, so I'd met him then, obviously, not to know each other, but from that game, I can remember, everybody knew, oh, like, Owen Farrell, he's coming to play today in this team, and he's Andy Farrell's son, and that is massive rugby league. Anyway, I think he scored, I think he scored four tries, five tries, maybe, before, before half-time. He actually got told to play at 50% in the second half. So that was my first, that, that was my first, um, experience of him but yeah then obviously um when, when my dad was at saracens and signed mm. andy we literally lived a stone throw away from each other actually got to know him properly and i think one of the first experiences was walking to school together because uh, we could actually walk to st george's in harpenden and i didn't have a clue where i was going what was going on we we've gone from being at school up north in normal uniforms to wearing a tweed jacket at st george's and we're like what's going on here like this brilliant <laughs> this yeah, should yeah, yeah, this yeah. should be happening to us but um Walked to school, spent a day, and then from there it was just yeah. kept on. Yeah, it was it was good. And is he is he your sort of best mate now? Is he kind of number one on your phone sort of thing? Good times and bad, apart from your, your missus and that as well, probably. But are you still that tight today? I'd like to think we're good mates still, yeah. Um, I think it's changed. The, the, the relationships, obviously, with us both playing professionally mm-hmm. and being at different clubs, and then coming in here and playing for England, we're still really good mates, but... A lot of the things we talk about is rugby, how we can help the team, how we can get better. And, um, yeah. and of course, like we still spend time together off the field, coffees and stuff. But when you're back at school and you walk in school together, eating a bag of wine gums or whatever it is, it's a bit different to preparing for a test match. Sure. So, of course, yeah. it is. But, yeah, I'd like to think so. I think um, we've known each other for a while now. We've played a lot together, but growing up together in school as well, that was that's probably set the foundation for, uh, for us being mates today. And were they good memories just finally on your... Growing up in the game and stuff, and, and uh, as a youngster, was it a sweet time for you being a youngster going through school? Because you obviously had a very different upbringing to most of us. Did you really enjoy it? Were they good times? I honestly loved it. I honestly loved it. Um, I enjoyed it at the time, but at the time you don't you don't really think am I enjoying this or not? Do you? you just you just get on with it? But now I look back on it, and I I love going to school. I, I did. I love like going to learn, but I also loved with what the school did for me with the rugby and work balance and stuff was was just unbelievable. And by the time I got to year eleven, year ten, it was I was probably more of a rugby player than I was being at school. So I was very very lucky in that aspect. Can you remember and talk us through when you got that call for the senior call up? Do you remember where you were taking the call? Maybe your emotions as well. I don't, I'm not sure if I got a call. I can't remember it being anywhere. Email, WhatsApp, Bluetooth, um, Facebook. I was at Bath. I know that I was at Bath, and it was in 2014. I think it, yeah, it was a Six Nations campaign. So I'm, I'm pretty sure I, I used to speak to Mike Carter for a bit. Mm. So maybe, maybe it was him when when he was here because uh, he used to tend to ring the backs, and I'd have previous conversations with him about missing out on on things before, which which was through Catty. So, but uh, I think the. As it, as it is like here a little bit. If you don't hear anything, it's probably more good news than, than bad. Right. And the squad was announced. 
And again, I think the court, the club coaches obviously find out who was in the squad and obviously my club coach was my, my dad, but he, he wouldn't tell me until I found out officially yeah. he wanted to sort of save that. So Give us an idea of the sense of pride. I mean, because you've been on that sort of pathway anyway, so it was kind of, wasn't necessarily always going to happen, but it was probably likely to happen. But when you actually got that call and sort of kind of have a moment in the mirror or talking to your parents, whatever it is, and thinking you're going to be on the bench or starting for England, you know, in the senior team. Give us an idea of that sense of pride and the emotions that go with that. It's like no other, really, because um, as as much as you you dream about doing it or think about doing it growing up, and then you actually get in a stage where you can do it, like it's it's nothing compared to actually officially being in an England yeah. England squad or uh, getting on the pitch for the first time in an England shirt. It's just so surreal. It's hard to explain. I, I think a little bit um, because, like I said, you dream about it, you think about it, but you never really experience what it's like until it actually happens mm. to you. So. Um, it's all, uh, it's a bit of a cliche thing, but when, when I decided to play rugby union at 16, you want to do as well as you can in the game. Mm. Um, obviously, one of the main, one of the best things is playing for your country, England, and to actually have the opportunity to do that was, never experienced a feeling like that before. Let's zip through the other 49 tests. I was going to ask you for your favourite moment in England, shirt, but I think it's probably relatively obvious, that 50th cap and stuff. Can you talk us through the pride for you and your family, you know, selected to captain your country? Yeah, well, I probably knew 50 was around the corner uh, if I was going to get selected in that game. So that's a, that's a special enough moment as it is. I was never expecting to be captain for the, for the game, so that was, again, made it even more special. Yeah, again, it was a bit like your, fir- your first cap, really. Like You never you never really think it's going to happen until it happens. Even even when you're up around like 48, 49 caps, like, you just think like you never take playing for England for granted. Anything could happen until it actually happens. You never want to. You yeah. never want to think about it. And then obviously the week came, and it was Japan at home. And Eddie said, put, I think midweek, oh, would you mind captaining the team? And it was like, yeah, obviously it'd be such an honour to captain the team as well. And, and what a challenge it'd be for me to to do that at home at Twickenham. And thankfully we got a good win in the end, didn't we? So um, I think for for me and my family, like I said, to, to play for your country once is unbelievable. Fifty times, you never even dream of making fifty times. So. Um, I'm just glad we got a good result and one on the day and we can have some happy memories of that. Hi, I'm Sarah Byrne and you're listening to the England Rugby Podcast with O2 Inside Line. Available on Apple Podcasts, Acast, Spotify, TuneIn, Deezer and Google Play. More from George soon, but first, England hooker Lark Davis shares her rugby journey. I'm Lark Davis, England hooker, and this is my rugby journey. So, my first rugby ju- um, memory is actually a bit embarrassing. So, I was one of the only girls playing at school with the boys, and it was that era where we had the popper trousers. So, I had like just standard t shirt, popper trousers, like tracksuit bottoms on, and we were playing tag rugby. And I was running along with the ball, like made a really good break. One of the boys pulled the back of the popper trousers and just left me stood in my pants. And like that's something that will stick with me forever. I watched a lot of rugby with my dad and he was a rugby player himself and sort of jumped on the idea of his, one of his daughters playing rugby. And so from a very early age, he was like, you know what, I'll take you to play. I'll take you to wherever you need to go to play rugby because some of the local clubs had small girl sections, but there wasn't anything sort of around the area where you'd actually play week in, week out. So I think one of my favourite memories as a young player was some of like my first games playing with Worcester under-15s at the time. 
and just remember like loving the game just like finishing a game like covered in mud making loads of hits like feeling a bit battered and bruised but like coming off with my friends and feeling like such a sense of like accomplishment and achievement so as a young player that was that was like my favorite like thing just playing with my friends and having the time of my life I got the England call up when I was quite young actually the first camp I went to was only just after my under-20s trials, so got a call up like a couple of weeks later to go in, in with the EPS girls, and whilst I was at college, my, my PE teacher there was really, really supportive, and I was down in the sports department, and I got this phone call, and I, I was just so excited to go and tell him and be like, look, they, like this is amazing, I'm just, you know, really excited, and yeah, just rang my dad after, and he was just really proud and just was like right where do I need to take you <laughs> like which journey are we gonna have to make then like I just remember being like oh my goodness I'm, I'm 18 how is this gonna go how am I gonna do this but I haven't looked back since yeah I haven't like I've, I've had challenges but in different ways like my rugby challenges probably haven't been injuries really but challenges in terms of my lifestyle and like how I how I balance things and manage things so I came out of university as a qualified teacher and got myself a job uh, a lovely school but also moved to Worcester in that time so I'd been living at home whilst I was at university so I moved away from home and um, I've always been pretty independent but like, still you know you've not got your mum and dad there for you if you need them and was travelling quite a lot to get to school. The workload was something I'd never experienced before. Like, I thought university was hard, but full-time teacher, NQT year, so, like, newly qualified as well. You've got so much thrown at you. So I was trying to be as best as I possibly could doing that, but also trying to be as best as I possibly could playing rugby. And it was just finding the balance, and that was a massive challenge for me. I wasn't eating enough, I wasn't sleeping enough, and actually I had to make a change, and I think that was quite a big challenge for me to say, you know what, like I'm going to have to take a step back, maybe go part-time with work to be able to train as much as I need to because I've got this goal and I want to I get there. My favourite memory in an England shirt is... Probably my first cap, I'd say. I can't really find words to describe it, like when you get your first cap, but there's like so many emotions going on. And for me, being away in Canada when I got my first cap, I was just so like excited to get on the pitch. And yeah, it was just a really special moment. So at the moment, like that's my favorite memory. Hope to make many more in an England shirt, but we'll see how the journey goes. Oh, describing me as a rugby player. So I would say pretty ruthless. So, like, I love contact, love a ruck, like, love them all, like, just like to get myself, like, stuck into it. And also work great for me. Like, I work and work and work until I can't any any longer. So that's massive for me to be on the pitch and to give my everything. I'm still quite young in my career in, a, in an English shirt. Just getting started is a good way to show it because I'm looking to try and make a big impact, like, get on the pitch this year and... Yeah, just getting started would kind of summarise it. Thanks, Lark. Remember, you can catch the Red Roses in action throughout the Women's Six Nations at their home games in Doncaster, Exeter and at Twickenham. Just head to englandrugby.com forward slash tickets. Now back to the England camp and the final part of our chat with George Ford. Uh, Away from rugby then. Tell us what you like to do to relax, because at the moment, your kind of life is, seems you're about 97% rugby and about 3% human. But what do you do, because you've got to turn your mind off, how do you turn the tap off? It's a good question, because 
we are pretty full on. And I think you have to be these days. I think firstly, you have to be these days. If you want to play a week in, week out at a consistent level, you've got to you've got to be engrossed and obsessed with what you do. But there is definitely times where you've got to switch off. There's a couple of things like I, I just love spending time with family, girlfriend, even if it's just going out having some food, having a, having a coffee. We just got a little dog about 12 months ago, a little French bulldog, and that's been unbelievable in terms of just going out for a dog walk, taking your mind off things. Um, I know that sounds pretty simple, but it does help me. And I try and play golf whenever I can. It's another sport which is quite addictive when you get into it, isn't it? You want to you try and get better and you want to try and beat Johnny Mayer especially. Yeah. So that, obviously, going out for nine holes, not thinking about rugby. you got a handicap? Uh, about 16. Right, and who, who in the squad here, who are you playing with and you're thinking, giving a good game, and who are you sort of emulating? For? Yeah, I, can't, I, I think I can remember Ben Earl being, re- uh, we played in South Africa and South Africa, so he was really good. Johnny's all right. Is he? Yeah, yeah. he's all right. Elliot fancy inconsistent. No, Elliot's rubbish. Jamie's good. Yeah, Jamie's very good. But they're they're into cricket, aren't they? So yeah. obviously, there's a few keen golfers at Leicester. There's some nice courses around there. So yeah. that whenever we can get out, it's it does actually relax you for that couple yeah. of hours you're out there. It doesn't sound like you've got a problem focusing on your day job. Do you actually have to find it quite hard to unwind? Do you kind of have to work hard at relaxing? Yeah, I think I think so. Um, I, Jess, my girlfriend's good because she she's had to tell me a couple of times like. Um, Especially when things are not going well, yeah. like when you when you have a couple of bad results and it's like you, you obviously do it because you want to win and you want to play well, and then when you when you're not and when you're having a couple of bad results, you're constantly thinking why, like what can we do? And and before you know it, you're going into the club at first thing in the morning, you're doing it all day at the club, you're bringing it home with you, and it's like uh, you're in a bit of a danger of wasting all your your mental energy, mm. especially, um, and then that probably takes it away from your individual performance. So I've learned a lot about that recently about how you can't be switched on for 100% of the time. Yeah. Because by the time you come to the 80 minutes at weekend especially, you're, you're nearly dead with battery sort of yeah. things. So like, I try and use my journey home. We've got a 20-minute journey home from training. So I try and use that to make sure when, when I walk through the door, I'm not... I'm not still on the press on the yeah. way home before you see the missus and uh, drive up the wall. And your cleaning regime is obviously quite famous, isn't it? Jokes aside, do you do you find that quite therapeutic? Because you know, one thing is for sure, if you're actually really focused on a task like that, your brain's probably not on on your day job, isn't it? Really, it's funny you should say that because I've only only the last what, three four months I've actually realised I get home from training. And whether the house or something in the house needs cleaning or not, I'll spend 10 minutes doing something. And it, and it could be very, like, I don't know, pick the uver up or clean the worktop or something. And it, like you do, I do it without noticing sometimes. But it's, it's like you've just said, it's like a 10-minute, like, trigger to switch off. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's madness, really. And, like... I don't, yeah, I don't know what it is. Well, I suppose it's different. Some people have music. Yeah. Some people, you know, but it's, it, there needs to be a trigger in your life, yeah. don't there? It doesn't really matter whether it's watching a movie or whatever it is. But yeah, and then after that ten minute of doing something, I can actually just genuinely go and sit down and relax. Brilliant. <laughs> it's mad. Yeah. Like, obviously, people got different things, and I didn't obviously um, consciously choose that, but that's just what yeah. it's happened to be. Your missus must be over the moon, though. Most people get yeah. from training, and yeah. they they shove their bag in a corner, the honking yeah. boots under the stairs yeah. and stuff. But you you come in and clean up and tidy up. It's a dream. You clean up for ten what's minutes. Yeah. And then sit down. How do you deal with the dog? Because you know I'm a dog owner, but how do you deal? Because dogs aren't particularly clean animals, are they? And I've never been in your house, but I imagine it's very clean and spick and span, and the floor's shiny. Now you've got a dog. I was a bit worried about that at first. I'll be honest with you, but she's only French bulldog, so she's only quite small to start with. So that so that helps things. But I'd say she probably has more baths and showers than what I do. Really, the dogs <laughs> try and keep her clean. <laughs> no, I'm messy. Yeah, she's not that messy. 
Which we're very, we're very, no. I mean, that, that's slightly odd. I mean, a dog is born with a coat on, surely, and these people are like, I'm going to dress my dog as an elf or a fairy. or they, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or anything. You're, not, you're not into that sort of stuff. No. no, Jess has done it a couple of times, but... I mean, if, if I was walking down the street and saw George Ford walking down with a French bulldog dressed as, I don't know, like E.T. or an alien, that's going to be a bit odd. Yeah, you, you wouldn't think that, wouldn't you? Yeah. You think, what's going on there, yeah. wouldn't you? Yeah. What else do you do? I mean, are you into any particular music? I've been trying to get into watching more TV series recently, because... Again, another thing is that I love watching live sport and you know you can go home at night and watch a football game every night these days or if there's a, a major on in a golf championship, like mm. watch the full four days of it, it drives Jess insane. So <laughs> There's been a couple of TV series recently, like Peaky Blinders, love Peaky Blinders, waiting for the next series to come out, so that's been quite good. I watched Making a Murderer, that is actually another good switch off, uh, yeah. getting into something like that which you can which you can go home and think, oh, I'll just put the next episode on and yeah. you get into it and you're trying to work things out or whatever it is. Are you a binger? Usually one a night. <laughs> I know that's pretty boring. I watched Sunderland Till I Die. Have you heard oh, about that yeah, one? Yeah, no, I'm, I've seen it, but apparently it's better than the Man City one. Well, yeah, it's, it it's is. It's grittier. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a bit interesting. It's quite sad in the end, but I watched literally three, four of them, four mm. of them in a day on my own. Like, I was just, I need to find out what happens. Uh, you can sort of re- relate it, really yeah. professional sport to to obviously being in a club yourself and the ins and outs of it and stuff. Obviously, I know it's football, but I binged on that one, but the others tend to take time with. And there we have it, the inside line on TV critic George Ford. Thanks so much to George and, of course, Anthony Watson and Lark Davis. Remember to subscribe so you don't miss next week's episode when I'll be sitting down for an insightful chat with another of England rugby superstars. In the meantime, enjoy all the tasty rugby on offer. And be sure to give us a rating and a review if you like what you've heard so that so many more people can get involved with our podcast. Until next week, we'll see you for now.